0: This is NHL Midweek with the Illegal Curve on your home of the Winnipeg Jets and all things NHL. TSN 1290. 1290 TSN1290.ca Here's Drew, Richard, and Ezra.
1: One hour to go here on the debut episode of NHL Midweek with the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. One game underway in the NHL so far, 0-0 halfway through the first period between the Boston Bruins and the Montreal Canadiens. You can catch that game in its entirety on TSN television. You can follow us on Twitter, at Illegal Curve. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Curve. We're on Instagram. You can search for us on Instagram, Illegal Curve. We don't tweet pictures of food either. Right. We tweet pictures of the food that is caught in Ezzie and my beard right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. We have a whole meal there, a whole buffet. <laughs> you never know what you're going to need. And, of course, you can. Uh, the website <laughs> with all your NHL and Winnipeg Jets news is com. Kelly Rudy from CBC's Hockey Night in Canada is going to join us in mere seconds. Producer Remus is hard at work to get him on the line so we'll be glad to talk to Kelly. It's sort of an interesting transition year for Kelly Rudy mm-hmm. in that he's moving from, I mean, we're used to seeing him sort of in the uh, second game of Hockey Night in Canada doing a lot of the analysis that uh, you know, uh, that we had been used to. This year he's out of that role, and he's in the role as a color analyst doing the late game, sort of the uh, role that Kevin Weeks was doing last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk to Kelly about that in, uh, and his uh, thoughts on that.
0: The TSN 12 NHL Midweek Hotline.
1: We welcome to NHL Midweek here on TSN 1290 from CBC's Hockey Night in Canada, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. How are you doing, bud?
0: Great. Uh, In fact, I'm having an awesome day. I uh, got home around noon today, and uh, I had a radio show. We had our Sirius Satellite radio show at one and much to my su- surprise my wife wanted to make me two fried egg sandwiches with cheese so i started off my day pretty well how does that sound
1: <laughs> it sounds better than what i had for lunch i can tell you that for sure
2: <laughs> well, you're doing
1: you're, you're way ahead of the game already i know Kelly, we want—I mean, we'll get into uh, the hockey analysis coming up very shortly. Wanted to start off, sort of uh, personally. You're making the transition away from the studio to being a color commentary, uh, color commentator yep. on the uh, the second half of the CBC's double-header game. How are you enjoying that transition so far this year?
0: I'm finding it really difficult. <laughs> um, I did it when I first retired and I joined Hockey Night full-time back in 1998. 19- uh, I did both studio and color, so I. Uh, I went through my notes, and I, I think it was somewhere ballpark, uh, about 25, somewhere around there, 30 games that I did color. And, but that ended 13 years ago, wow. and so I've exclusively been in studio after that. And I'm finding it uh, a little bit better this past weekend. It was my third show, and you know I, I think we're all the same in broadcasting, aren't we? We're all our worst own critics, and. So the first show I thought was absolutely horrible, I was really mad at myself, but I wasn't going to beat myself up too badly since uh, I hadn't done it in so long. And then my second show I thought was a little bit better, and this past one I I think I was much, much better, but I'm still not where I need to be, but I'm really trying to sink my teeth into it and get to the level that uh, I should be at at network television.
2: Yeah, I think you're doing a great job so far, that's just my personal opinion, and transition over, you know, you're based in Calgary, and yep. the Flames have kind of had a little bit of organizational transition, and what's been your thoughts on the, the team thus far? Obviously, a big one yesterday in Detroit, but it seems, you know, the additions of Cervanca and Hoodler have really given them kind of a, a different look overall, even.
0: Yeah, they're really good players, aren't they? I mean, Cervanca was a guy... Um, that not a lot of people knew of. We, we kind of heard about him, but there wasn't even a lot of footage. I know that Bob Hartley talked to us about, you know, he went back through uh, some of the YouTube of his uh, play in the KHL, but didn't really give him a, a clear idea what kind of player he was and so on. But what really impressed me now that uh, I've seen him a number of times in person is that he's really smart with the puck, meaning if if he doesn't have a play, even though he's very, very skilled, he doesn't try and do something too fancy or stupid. He just gets the puck deep and uh, puts it in a good place on the ice so they can chase it back down or at least apply some pressure. And and Hoodler's just been a really, really smart player. I mean, I think all of us knew how good he was in Detroit, but he's kind of like a hidden guy there, you know, playing behind all those stars. And the other thing that really grabbed my attention here, living in Calgary and seeing him with all the attention, that he's embracing that uh, that role and the pressure. I mean, some guys don't like that, and he's clearly enjoying being in the spotlight here They've made a couple other things, uh, changes. I, I mean, Matt Stajan's playing really well with them. I, I don't know if I've seen Matt to quite this offensive-minded in a long time. And they have a couple good young defensemen th- that I really like. T.J. Brody's really good. Derek mm-hmm. Smith uh, coming on. I will say this, though, I'm bragging about them a little bit. I still don't like their team, and I, I still think that they have to uh, really make a lot of improvements. One thing they will do, we saw it last night, is they'll play hard. That's mm-hmm. for sure.
3: Kelly, in his first year in the NHL in San Jose, Patrick Marlowe lived with you. Yep. And we got we got to ask you about Patrick Marlowe because he's just been scorching hot. What do you attribute that start to uh this season in San Jose?
0: Uh, well, first of all, he's a really a highly conditioned athlete. Like, this kid is just, I guess he's not a kid anymore. I think he's because he
3: lived with us when he was when a kid. When he lived anyway. with you, he was a kid.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he's just a machine. I mean, everybody talks about he's usually, if not, the fittest guy on the team uh, every training camp. So... Uh, I think that adds to his longevity. He's just got natural uh genes that, uh, he, I mean, he's a real physical specimen boy. You know, he's that lean but really muscular body. He flies out there. He looks effortless. I think the other thing is that he's a really quiet person uh, until you get to know him. Then he opens up, but he's a really proud guy. And, uh, you know, the last uh, little bit where San Jose, they've been favored, they've faltered. I think he really takes that personally. I also think that some of the criticism he heard from a former player a while ago was, you know, something that also really motivated him. And, you know, Pat, when he plays like he can, boy, he's uh, he's at uh, the top of the list for top players in the game
1: do you think this year is going to be any different for San Jose or is it just going to be a solid regular season and then fall off in the, in the playoffs? You know, I think maybe I'm biased because
0: I, I did play there and because I have some friends there that I really do think it's different. I think they have more depth for a change. Uh, Their D I think is better than it has been in a long time. Um, I, I really feel that Niemi's playing maybe the best he's played in the National Hockey League right now. So uh, I, I'm, it's a wait-and-see attitude for sure, but right now from watching them, I really think they're a good team. I, I came, I, they came to Calgary, and I watched them live, and mm-hmm. although uh, Calgary was all over them in the first period, it was all San Jose after that, and any team that has a guy like uh, Joe Thornton that can set up guys, look out. I also think is an even better player. is a better player, and I was really impressed uh, watching in person Mark Edward Vlasic. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a rock star back there.
1: You're listening to NHL Midweek on TSN 1290. We're joined by Kelly Rudy. He's an analyst with Hockey Night in Canada. Kelly, if there's one topic that pretty much every hockey fan is discussing, it is Vancouver's uh, goaltending situation. You know, Your perspective, of course, is as a former goaltender. How have you thought Vancouver has handled the issue so far this season?
0: Well, I think they've handled it as well as can possibly be expected. It's not an ideal circumstance when they... We're expecting Schneider to carry the load and he's going to be the number one and just uh, find a new home for Luongo. But here's the thing going into this situation. Um, being a number one is far more difficult than uh, being a backup and, and uh, with way less pressure. Uh, number one, you have to answer to the media every single day. Uh, you're held to a higher standard. Um, you have to play consecutively well uh, night after night. Uh, and so there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into it. So after Schneider faltered, the rest of the whole team did, by the way, first game versus Anaheim, uh, I, I thought that once Luongo was going to get in there, he was going to be lights out. I mean, here's a really proud guy also. And you know one of the things, a burning desire for a guy like that that's been nothing short of a winning machine in the NHL especially in Vancouver the last uh, six, now starting seven seasons, that given an opportunity, he was going to be as good as he's ever been, and he was going to make it really difficult for Schneider to keep the job. And I I must say from personal experience, I went through that same sort of thing in uh, New York when I was uh, eventually taking the job away from Billy Smith. Mm -hmm. He never let it go very easily. He fought me for years, and it wasn't until I finally was able to – Take that job that uh, that he was okay with it, but but you know here's the thing that's going to make Schneider so much better. This is a little bit of adversity, but it's nothing that he can't overcome over time. And I, I tell you, once once he does overcome it, because he's going to face a lot more adversity as a starter than this little bump in the road, and he's going to be better off for it. This is really healthy competition, and the good thing is they get along well. Like they're respectful of each other, they both want to play. But it would, be, it would be a far different situation if they hated each other. These guys are, are good friends, so that, that works well.
2: You know, sticking in Vancouver, Kelly, and we're getting, next segment we're actually going to be breaking down the Tampa Bay Lightning power play, which has been incredible thus far. They lose Sammy Salo in the offseason. He's really fitting well in Tampa. And they're going yep. to replace him, essentially, with, with Jason Garrison. What are your thoughts on that, you know, kind of quote-unquote trade off.
0: Well, first of all, you're getting, you're losing a, a really solid guy in Sallow. Um, he was, uh, you know, he was comfortable there in a good way. He uh, he he knew how to get the most out of himself. I think that when you lose a guy like that, you know that you're going to miss him. There's just no question about it. And he was a really good team guy. But that's just progress, and you got to make changes, and you got to move forward. And and they felt that to getting Garrison, you're getting a younger guy, a guy that's uh, healthier and, and so on. Uh, I'll say this: I'm not very quick to judge guys that to uh, come over in free agency or even a, in a trade because it's it's a really difficult move family-wise and mm-hmm. all these other factors. As you guys know, he's from the Lower Mainland, and so that adds uh, pressure and stress and so on. So uh, I've been told teams have studied players that to uh, uh, go over in free agency or free agency in particular. And it can take up to a year for a guy to start to feel more comfortable and back to his game. So I don't think we've seen the best of Garrison, but I think that uh, he's he's a guy that's only going to get better and better.
3: Kelly, there are a lot of eyes on Devin Dubnik this year in Edmonton, and not, not a lot of people are... Are you know thinking that he can go the the full way? I, I I think that he can, and I'd obviously like to get your take. You obviously know a lot more about being an NHL goaltender than I was, than I I, I am. I w- I was scared to to play house league hockey goaltender. <laughs> uh, but do you think Devin Dubnick has what it takes to be uh, the Edmonton Oilers goaltender of the future?
0: Well, first of all, I was scared every game in the <laughs> NHL, too. <laughs> and, and you know what? That might not be much of an exaggeration. It was either really nervous or nervous anticipation or whatever, but that's a good feeling. I I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you can channel that energy in the right direction. But I would agree with you. I, I think uh, Dudnik has uh, passed every single test. I think that he's shown that he can be a leader. I think that he's shown that he's uh, like a general back there. Uh, I like how calm he is and 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 I think that uh, this has turned out maybe better than they expected. I mean, you're always wondering, right, if, you're, if your goalie's going to keep taking the next step, and it, at what point does he plateau? And so far, we haven't seen any plateauing from uh, Dudnick. In fact, I'd say he continues to get better. You know, last year, the first half, I thought uh, he had uh, two problems. He'd, first off, he'd either just let in an untimely goal. Maybe it wasn't a bad goal, but an untimely goal and often he did let in a softy and but he would played great otherwise he'd play you know, fifty nine great minutes and then something bad would happen and, he, and i think it turned into a mental block but he got rid of that the last half of the year and it's been pretty smooth sailing ever since i mean i think you could safely say that his teammates really trust him now
1: you're listening to nhl midweek on tsn 1290 we're joined by kelly rudy of hockey night in canada Kelly, the CBC has been running a feature on Team Canada 2014, of course, assuming that there is going to be a Team <laughs> Canada featuring NHL players at the uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi. If you had to pick now, who is Team Canada's starting goaltender?
0: Carey Price. Yep, I agree. I've I like. Uh, I've, uh, also uh, had to choose in some other rosters or some other uh, media outlets. I've chosen uh, Price, Luongo, and Fleury. Um, knowing fully that it you know it could be in a year it could be Cam Ward but i mean you're talking about three pretty good guys and there's just something i like the way that Carey Price carries himself he's just got a real swagger to him and a, a, and also a calmness that uh, i i really like
2: Kelly final question here you know there was rumors i guess it was a couple of weeks ago now but Wayne Gretzky possibly reemerging on the hockey scene and with the Maple Leafs being a former teammate of Wayne and, and a friend of Wayne's in general, do you see him ever returning to the game in kind of a managerial role? I
0: hope so. Um, I know that Wayne absolutely loves the game. I talked to him, in fact, uh, the day after that rumor started uh, uh, circulating. And uh, I, uh, you know, here's the thing: I'm I'm really torn on this. First of all, I wish he did come back. I know he had added value somewhere, and mm-hmm. he like he's he's a uh, he's a hockey. Guru, like he knows everything about the game. He watches a million games still in retirement and everything. But here's the other thing: when I've talked to him a little bit in the last few months, and especially two weeks ago, when I, his tone was that he's really, really, really happy with life. So, I, I think that for something to to pop up, it would have to be an exceptional opportunity and experience because uh, you know he just sounds so happy to me, and I don't see. Uh, any need to change that unless there's some real drive or some opportunity that's going to really make his life even better.
1: Considering Wayne Gretzky spending the weekend playing uh, as the amateur partner to Dustin Johnson at Pebble Beach, (laughs) it's going to take a lot of convincing, I think, to give up that.
0: I, I, honestly, like, you know, he's got—he's uh, just got a great life. Like all of us wish we could live that way. <laughs> and, and you know what? He deserves it. He's—he's uh, he's a wonderful
1: guy. Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks as always for joining us this evening. Just terrific insight into the game. Yeah, I
0: look forward to joining you guys again down the road. Thanks, thanks Kelly. Kelly. Thanks, thanks so lot, Kelly.
1: Yeah. Let's go to break. You're listening to NHL Midweek here on TSN 1290.
0: Galley, and he breaks his stick as he shoots. St.
1: Louis gets it. Right single. Stamkel's on the shot. Stamkel's on On the rebound! It came right back to him! That was a power play goal scored by the Tampa Bay Lightning in a game earlier this year. We're going to spend the next segment breaking down the Lightning power play. We saw it uh, in its full power against the Winnipeg Jets last week. So now we're going to try and get you inside the game and explain to you what makes the pa- Tampa Bay Lightning power play so dangerous.
0: Break it down.
1: It helps to have a good power play when you've got a guy like Steven Stamkos and Marty St. Louis and Vincent LeCavalier, and they don't all play it together on the same power play unit. But having that t- top flight talent certainly helps matters. If you want to think of the Tampa Bay Lightning power play, it's best to think of a lowercase T, Mm -hmm. sort of with a where the cross of the T is sort of at the uh, at the you know the middle of the vertical line. Put the cross as the half boards, and the vertical line being the center of the blue line going straight from there down to the goaltender. Exactly, Richie. Why don't you start it off and sort of explain where everybody where the first unit
2: power play for the Tampa Bay Lightning set up? Well. The thing about the, the the lightning, you know, you mentioned Drew. Obviously, talent is important, but what they do is they line up. I'm going to kind of go by through personnel. The okay. top of the blue line, they play one defenseman in the middle of the blue line. That's Sammy Sallow. Okay, he is a right-handed shooting defenseman with a howitzer, a huge slap shot, and he can hit it off on a one-timer. Okay, so the the, the power play. So he's at the top. Okay, if you want to look at it as so the top of the T. All right, then you move down. You have Stamkos in the middle of the ice, essentially in the high slot. And then you have Marty St. Louis to Stamkos' right on the half boards. And then Teddy Purcell to Stamkos' left on the half boards. And then all the way down, right in front of the net, you have Ryan Malone. So it's that five-man unit that is the number one unit in Tampa Bay. Now it's a bit. Of, let me stop you right there. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a different setup from the traditional
1: power play setup, when you often expect to see two defensemen uh, manning each of the two, each point on on the blue line, like you see in Winnipeg. Well, even though we're breaking
3: down the Tampa Bay power play, and I think before Richie gets back into it, I think we should mention that going out and getting Matt Carl and going out and getting Sammy Sallow mm-hmm. was was very important for Steve Iserman. Both of those players. Our power play specialist, Sammy Salo, for years on Vancouver, was sent out there on the first power play unit, and he he has a lot of power play goals as a defenseman. When you think of the Winnipeg Jets, Richie, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are, I think, switching over because we know Guy Boucher is super creative to what Drew's, you know, just talking about there, what the Jets like to do is, yeah, sure, everyone knows this. They like to load up the, the shot from Bufflin, or they like to load up the shot from Enstrom, but it's the formation of the Jets is a little bit more simple. All power plays are going to have a triangle to a certain degree. There's always going to be a guy in the corner, and there's always going to be a guy in front of the net, and there's always going to be a guy on the other side, and, and you'll, you'll see guys overload, but I think the thing that Tampa Bay's doing this year with their T formation is they're not just, they're not just loading it up for a shot from the point. They, that's an option, but what they're doing is they're trying to make it difficult for the defender because they're not only going to have to look after the shot from the, the point man, they're going to have to look at the shot in the slot, they're going to have to look at uh, the shot from the other guy that's, mm-hmm. that's creating the tee on
1: the other side, and they're going to they're gonna have to look out for four shots, that's okay. the whole point. Tampa Bay Lightning currently ranks second in the NHL at a power play efficiency rating of thirty-two and a half percent. It's ridiculous.
2: The power play flows though, and, and to as he's point, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the Jets. The Jets kind of run their def- their power play through the back end, through the defense, and rightfully so. That's where their talent really is. The Tampa Bay first unit power play actually runs through Marty St. Louis. Yep, setting up on the half boards, the right half boards, and by that, when the right Marty St. Louis is a left-handed shooting guy, so he's on the right half boards, meaning his off-wing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the puck is is easy for him to kind of make a pass, and he's got a great ability to, to see the play. Now, Marty St. Louis set up the puck, okay? He's, he's got options, and then that's where it goes. Marty St. Louis is on the right side of the ice. He looks up into the middle of the, uh, the blue line. He's got Sammy Sallow on his off-wing, ready to one-time a slap shot. From the point. From the point. He looks to the slot, the mid-slot. He's got Steven Stamkos with probably the best one timer in the NHL, raring to go for a pass and to shoot it on net. 60 goal scorer, Steven Stamkos. Okay. He can have Teddy Purcell, Pers- who can kind of go back door or stay where he is. He's also on his off wing. He's an option. And then you have Ryan Malone. So a shot is an option. A shot with a tip with Ryan Malone is an option. A shot with a rebound is an option. And Ryan Malone's a truck. He's hard to move. He's willing to pay the price to be in front of the net. So they have all these options and the puck flows through Saint Louis. Doesn't mean he hogs the puck. The puck can go to Salo, back to Saint Louis, to the other side. He's that- the he's the
1: quote unquote quarterback of the power play. Yeah. If if Toby Enstrom for the, for Jets fans is mm-hmm. the quarterback of the Jets power play and he's the one responsible for making the decisions as to where to distribute the puck and everything else, Marty Saint Louis is that guy in Tampa Bay and he just and he does it at a bit of a non-traditional uh, from a non-traditional spot on the half boards as opposed to up on the point i think it's important
3: to mention here breaking down the tampa bay power play that oftentimes they'll put out four forwards but mm-hmm. Marty st louis Richie, i think is is he's not underrated obviously he's he's arguably a hall of famer he's been, you know always the top 10 scores in the nhl uh, unless he's having an off off season but he almost acts like a defenseman, and the thing is they will put out Matt Carl if they need to, or they'll put out Victor Hedman, but they they like to use that because they know that Martin St. Louis really is quarterbacking it. Not, not necessarily in the traditional defenseman from the point, but he's well, he's quarterbacking it from
2: the sideboards. But to that point, because you don't have him at the point, point, is you can trust him, that if he makes a mistake on the half boards, the other players... Salo and whoever else comes back can compensate for a mistake. So the mistake doesn't turn into an immediate breakaway. That's another reason why they do it. Now, there's a couple other things. personal's on the other side of the ice, so essentially the puck can be reversed, and it's the same thing. He's got all the same options with St. Louis on his off wing. And now, here, now, that's a bit of a more difficult pass in that it's, it's, from, it's from one side of the ice sure, to the other. Sure, but I mean, you're talking about backdoor, and, sure. and what you're really doing is trying to draw, if you kind of backdoor, if, if Purcell is on the other side of the ice trying to go backdoor, it might draw one of the defenders down and away from Stamkos right. or away from Salah or away from Malone. It, it frees wh- up ice for the one-time guys who are your primary target in, uh, in this setup. That's right, because you're exactly right, Drew. If you go to Purcell, the other guys are on the wrong side. You're exactly right. Now, here's the thing. Steven Stamkos is the key to the power play, and that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But if you look at it and if you watch enough of the film, Stephen Stamkos doesn't just stand in the high slot. He moves around. And this is a problem that people talk about Alex Ovechkin not moving around enough to find open spots. Stephen Stamkos will move down low. He'll curl back. Him and Purcell will rotate with each other. Stamkos will come to the blue line for a one-timer. He'll go to the low slot for a one-timer. He'll come to the high slot for a one-timer. So you have to keep your eyes on Steven Stamkos on his off wing at all times, and his shot is so quick that if you lose him for a half a second, you're done. Richie, I think that
3: in that 8-3 loss, the oh, Jets, 8-3 that the that the, the Jets lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning, we saw possibly the greatest you know, exhibition of offensive talent since maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Kunitz. I, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning, now that they've added to Carl and Salo, who are really offensive defensemen, uh, I, I think we're seeing the next step of power play. If, if you look at... It almost seemed like at certain points, and, and we, we gotta, we gotta mention that the Jets are playing without Bogo. They're playing out w- without Bufflin, Guys that would play on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, these guys are that talented. What we were seeing was almost the, the Tampa Bay Lightning toying with the Jets when they were on a five on three. The way they move around, and, you know, just listening to you describe Steven Stamkos and what he does, what they do is they force you to make mistakes. They're so talented. St. Louis is so patient with the puck. They make you make mistakes, and they move around, and they they, they have so many different options. Uh, and and it's really something to watch. And y- you can tell that last year they weren't good on the power play, and this year they've they've
1: made it a focal point. Quickly, because we're close to being up against the break, does does
2: their system change for their second power play unit? I, I watch more film on the, on the first power play unit, Drew, so I don't want to get... For this segment, I watch more film on the first power play, so I don't want to delve too deep into the second power play. Personnel's different, and so... Based on the cursory looks I gave to the second unit, they, they work on a more of a, a basic formation in that they have Victor Hedman and, and Matt Carl. So they have more to defense on the back end there. But I don't want to comment too much on it. Their second personnel unit is Corey Conacher, Vincent LeCavalier, uh, Matt Carl. Uh, Victor Hedman, Benoit and then Pouillard. Benoit Pouillot. So I, I like the idea. In terms of the personnel, you're bringing a guy from the HL who's obviously proven to be very successful so far this year in Corey Conacher. But you also bring a guy like Benoit Pouliot who has kind of had a hard time finding his way, but has never had a lack of skill. So you're allowing him to flourish in a second power play rule, and I like that. But we will break down that second power play unit eventually.
1: Absolutely. We're going to break down a different team, a a different system that they run each and every week. But for now, keep an eye on the Tampa Bay Lightning first power play unit and watch for the lowercase T and how they set up. You're listening to NHL Midweek on TSN 1290, tsn1290.ca. The center ice. Zach Ronaldo the gloves with BJ Crombie. Crombie, the bigger of the two, but Ronaldo hammers him with a right hand. A second and a third one, and Crombie is on the street as Zach Ronaldo K.O.s him.
0: Yeah, he's knocked out. And, oh, he's got the Bambi legs. Oh, he's got the Bambi legs. Nighty night.
1: The party's over. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave apart the que- the questionable commentary for now. He's got the Bambi legs. Yeah, we'll leave apart the questionable commentary. Those are the uh, Flyers commentators. The Flyers, yeah, uh, well. Play by play guys. We'll leave that uh, we'll leave that aside for now. I want to talk about the BJ Crombie Zach Ronaldo fight from last night. The Zach attack. If you have not yet seen the video, we will tweet it out on our Twitter feed at Illegal Curve right now. The two guys square off, and Ronaldo hits Crombean with a solid right hand. More than just a solid right, it pops Crombean's helmet right off of his head. It's, a, it's, a, it's pretty much a knockout. It was a power punch. Crombean drops to one knee, where, uh, where Ronaldo hits him again, because really, Crombean can't really defend himself at this point. And he puts him down pretty much again. And then one more shot for your, for, I guess, good luck. I really don't know what the last shot was for at this point. Where Zach Ronaldo just knocked B.J. Crombie pretty much out on his feet. Did Zach Ronaldo go too far in that fight against B.J. Crombie last night?
2: That's an easy one. He went way too far. Zach Ronaldo's you know dirty player. That's I mean I'm still wondering what he does in terms of actually playing hockey, but that could be for another show, Drew. When you there there's a code, and he violated the code as far as I'm concerned. He popped him. He knocked him out really with that one punch. You, that's fine. You drop the gloves. I guess the intention really is to knock the guy out. It didn't seem like it was kind of an organic fight there. But in any event, it happened. And instead of just letting him go, and if you watch the Jets games, we've we've been referencing that. You know, Chris Thorburn, I forget which game it was. A couple of games ago, he had a good fight. Uh, Travis Moen. Travis Moen gave yeah. him a tap. And so, you know, there's a respect level there. And Chris Thorburn's a respect respectable hockey player. Bernardo pops him. Nosey pops him. Because his adrenaline is going a mile a minute. I mean, 13 Red Bulls, I'm sure he had. <laughs> but whatever it was... He pops him, then he hits him three times, and really hits him at the end. After, and then you're wondering about a concussion problem in hockey. Well, I mean, come on. If you want Zach Ronaldo's in the game, who? Uh, what's his offensive total this year? Here, I'll look up his stats. His you career. Guys, you guys keep. Yeah, talking. You know what? I, I just I, if you want to be a, a hard play, a guy who works hard, all that stuff, that's fine. The cheap stuff and the and and the breaking the code to me uh, has no place in the game, and and he'll have to deal with that mm-hmm. down the road. Does not have a point yet this year. He's played six games. Uh, He's got 24 penalty minutes
1: in those six games. He's a minus one, and he has not scored yet. Uh, For his career, he has played 72 games, and he's got nine points in those 72 games, two career goals, and 256 penalty minutes. I think the goon word is a safe word to use
2: for Zach Ronaldo. We know that. I mean, this guy's been doing it for a while, but he hasn't created anything offensively. It's basically two goals a season there. Uh, You know, let me ask you this. Before, as you get in, because you haven't even commented on it yet, does the Flyers team really need a fighter? I mean, the Flyers aren't tough enough as the, the, they're currently uh, put together that they need a fighter?
3: Well, later on in this game, if you were watching it, Vinny LeCavalier, and i got to give credit to Vinny LeCavalier. A couple of years back, not a couple of years back, That's... eight years back now, <laughs> he fought Jerome McGimla in the playoffs. Vinny LeCavalier can throw, th- throw some punches for a finesse guy. He fought Max Talbot. They don't really need a, 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 another fighter. The Flyers are pretty tough. Scott Hartnell can can chuck the knuckles. But as far as as far as this fight goes, BJ Crombie has been in the league for a little longer than Zach Rinaldo. Zach Rinaldo, you mentioned he's only played 70 games in the NHL. He's only established himself as an NHLer in the last 3 years. But you there is a code Richie, and it, when you're talking about, you're connecting with a guy on a power punch and you can see that his, his head went back and you can, he was on the ground for a good one and a half to two seconds before Zach Ronaldo threw another punch. And, and you're right. You talk to a guy like Chris Thorburn, he'll tell you about the code and he'll, he'll tell you about why guys fight and they're trying to get staged fights out of the NHL. No, no. And he, this isn't helping when it's, this wasn't a staged fight, by the way. There was a reason for this precipitating that's right. it. But, when you when you have a guy doing stuff like that, that's when guys get seriously injured. Again, I referenced the conversation we had with Chris King when we were out with Gary Lawless. And I, I always like to ask the guys who fought about fighting. Because you ask a guy like Chris King, he could score and he was a leader, he was a captain of the Jets, but he was a fighter. That's That's what, he made his living on fighting and being a tough hockey player. But what he said to, I'll never forget it, what he said is, you know what, for the most part... Guys don't get injured in fights because there's respect for each other. And really, when you're, when you're th- if you've ever fought in hockey, uh, it's, it's not it's not exactly like MMA. I mean, most of the punches don't land. And even when they do, most of the time you'll get a black eye maybe. It's, but, it's
1: hard to really connect on a punch exactly. when you're wearing skates. Exactly. And then, Let me ask you I, I just
3: quickly, though, sorry. I mean, the, it's all right. But, uh, you know, when you punch a guy when he's already kind of... He looked dazed. He was dazed and confused, Crombie, And when when you're on the ice and then you continue to punch the guy, that's Mm -hmm. when you have the potential for injury. And that's why most of the time you don't see that. Don Cherry does this every year on Rock'em Sock'em when a guy lets up. Because they let up because they're not idiots, even though they're goons. I mean, look at George Peros. The guy has a degree from Harvard. I mean, these guys aren't idiots. I mean, that's m- most guys don't have degrees from Harvard. But, I mean, these guys you are do. smarter than they give credit for. <laughs> they, they're, they're smart when they're fighting. They know what they're doing, and they have respect for each other. And, basically, the gist of this, Drew, is Ronaldo doesn't have respect for guys. And, to be honest with you, what goes around comes around. That's right. And do you,
1: if he one-punches him, and his helmet pops off, and he ends it there... Are, no problems that's fine we're not having this conversation nope. so it's just the it's the follow up punches and do you think that it's a heat of the moment thing or do you think it's Zach Ronaldo because I mean if you if you read post game it was Crombie who asked
2: Ronaldo to fight doesn't matter that's irrelevant drew the point is after the punch what does he do he hits he him two more times so. goes over the line and, and and you know what guys you know what the proof is going to be
3: obviously in the pudding which I enjoy uh <laughs> You know what the proof is going to be, Richie? His next fight, or next time he does it. Yeah, if, he, if he does it again, it'll be a pattern. And I'm not saying he's not necessarily apologetic about what he did, but in this particular case, he should have let up. It's pretty simple.
0: It was an awful call. That's a good hockey play. I think that's what we all want to see. Now, nobody wants to see him get hurt, but that was a real good hockey hit. We right now are going to air as a league in calling those penalties automatically when we shouldn't. By the time I got out between the second and third, they admitted there was an error, and I'm sure within the next few hours we'll see it rescinded. But that doesn't help a team that played uh, a lot of hockey that needed that player and should have been on the power play for four minutes.
1: San Jose Sharks head coach Todd McClellan last night. Another controversial call. Sharks forward Andrew Desjardins. Thrown out of the game, assessed a five-minute major. Terrible call. A match penalty as well for a hit to the head that was nowhere near the head. It was a clean shoulder-to-shoulder hit on Chicago Blackhawks and Al Strachan's uh, favorite player, <laughs> Jamal Mayers. <laughs> a your tough thought, guy himself. Your thoughts on the hit, Is it to, and as a follow-up, is it time for the NHL to maybe be able to review five-minute majors that are handed out to make sure that they're accurate?
2: Yeah, Drew, I don't mind five-minute major penalties and a game that's chronic being reviewed beforehand. I I don't have an issue with that. Um, Watching the play over and over again, Myers does touch the puck. And him by him touching the puck, he's in play. Put he his head down, and he had his head down, and he was, was looking
1: back. I mean, it was a pass out of the Blackhawks are coming out of their own right. zone.
2: Duncan Keith
1: passes it to Jamal Mayers. Yep, terrible pass. It's a quote unquote suicide pass. Yeah,
2: it's in Mayers' skates, and yep. he's trying to find it while looking backwards with his head down. And Jamal Myers is a guy who plays on the right side for the most part, and he kind of curls in the left here, so it's yep. a, you know kind of going in his opposite side, not used to that part on the ice, and he just got he just got clobbered, and you know what? Clean hockey hit. The NHL's admitted a mistake. I mean, Tom is gonna sell it up as Andrew Desjardins, needing that, you know, that fourth line guy to give his other guys a little bit of a break against Chicago. Sure, whatever. I mean, Desjardins. And, and I, the penalty call obviously is more of a big deal in terms of, you know, what it costs them. But in the big scheme of things, I prefer an NHL errs in the side of caution as opposed to the, uh, the opposite. Richie, when we coached hockey, one of the things that we
3: stressed with the kids that we coached, they were 13 years old, we said, keep your head up. And how many times have you yep. heard keep your head up? I, like, I referenced Don Cherry because I, I, I still think that he's extremely relevant in hockey. Um, you know, obviously with Coach's Corner... I, it was a suicide pass. First yeah. off, Keith would have regretted it, but hey, Keith, you know, fought, well, Keith didn't fought Desjardins afterwards. As, so, soon as,
1: as soon as Desjardins laid the hit.
3: Yeah, he went after Duncan he Keith went after, went after yeah, exactly. Desjardins. And he got yeah. But, you know, again, it was a short pass. It wasn't like a, a, you know, a two-line pass, suicide pass. And Mayer set his head down. And, and to be honest with you, there's two things. I, I think this is important for three reasons, really. Uh, I don't think the officiating has been particularly bad. I think officiating is an extremely difficult job. And as we've talked about before, they review these calls. They review everything after the game. And they review themselves. They're they're required to. But I, I think that it's important because this showed you that he- headshots are, there's still uh, uh, an awareness about them. Mm-hmm. But it shows you that, you know, we're, we might be, overdoing it a little bit and the thing is body checking is a huge well, part i'll say this time and time again body checking is a huge part of hockey it might not be in, uh, so much in in the international game but the ability to take out a guy with a clean body check is an important part let me
1: interrupt you right again the let me stop you right there I think I, I mean I personally don't think that the NHL is doing enough to eliminate headshots. So I'm in favor of everything that they do. Yeah, I agree. Then why, And if you want to do this, if you want to put these uh, this emphasis in place, which I think they've done well with doing, why don't you also add in the review component so that it's more equitable? There's no problems with it. The players know. If I hit the head, it's right. going to be confirmed and I'm going to get thrown yep. out. But if I hit a guy clean in the shoulder, shoulder to shoulder like this, it was, I won't be punished unduly for it. Well, well put. Agreed. Well, well. argued, Drew. Case closed. Case case, case, case closed. Richie just closed the case. Never mind case closed. Show over. We're done. This is the last episode. (laughs) First episode, last episode. Richie agreed with me. It's not going to do better than that. Let's go to break. One final segment on NHL Midweek. You're listening to TSN 1290. Welcome back to NHL Midweek here on TSN 1290. A trade from late this evening in the NHL. The New Jersey Devils have acquired forward Andre Lokotanov from the Los Angeles Kings. In exchange for a fifth-round pick in the 2013 NHL entry draft—pardon me, NHL draft—they dropped the word "entry." As you know, that makes you excited because it has to do with the Devils.
3: <laughs> yeah, still a Devils fan at heart. Andre Lockyano, uh, he got some time in in LA, but he didn't play much, if at all, during the Stanley Cup run last year. And I know that they were trying to move him. So for the Devils, that's uh, uh, that's a depth signing. He, I, I could see him getting in the lineup. Um, but you know he might spend some time in Albany. But he's a guy with a lot of offensive upside. I,
1: I just think he fell out of favor in LA. One final segment on this Wednesday evening. It's called Over Under. Starting off Over Under. Pretty much it's a simple concept. I give a number. You guys tell me if it's over <laughs> or under. What a professor. Drew. Yeah. Never, as he picked even last uh, time we did this. No even.
3: Yeah, Drew Professor
1: Omelet. Yeah. <laughs> Ilya Brizgalov of the Philadelphia Flyers Flyers is currently 11th among qualified goaltenders with a save percentage of 9.23. Mm-hmm. Last year, he finished 32nd among qualified goaltenders with a save percentage of 9.09. Over under, Ilya Brizgalov finishing the year with a save percentage of 9.16.
3: 9.16. And
1: he's at 9.23, and he was at
3: 9.09 last year. That's correct. I'm gonna say that Ilya Brizigalov finishes a little lower than that.
1: So you would go with under. Is that, I'm gonna is go. The word you're I'm, I'm gonna
3: for. go. Yeah, I'm gonna go under because I don't think you will be able to keep that up. Because 923, that's gonna be at at the top of the league. I'm gonna go under.
1: Uh, 923 is 11th. In fact,
2: I said that in the, in, yeah. in there. Richie, over. Because I think what happens is Drew. their f- the Philadelphia defense is not as talented as it was last year. I mean, he settled in a little bit more obviously with it being the second year and a little bit less pressure I think and he, or or at least he knows what to expect of the pressure. But I think what's happening with the Flyers is because they have a lack of skill on defense and a and lack of skill a little bit up front, I mean obviously Hartnell injured and, and Van Ren taken a, a, out of town now, they're changing their style a bit. They're less apt to be running gun. When you're less apt to be running gun you generally clamp you, you conversely clamp down on defense. Uh, Accordingly, clamped down in defense. Excuse me, and I think what happens there is you give up less scoring chances, and I think Brizgalup looks better because of that. Over under.
3: So much for just saying over and under. Richie's giving a a master's thesis over here. Give
2: explanation as well.
1: It'd be a five-second segment (laughs) if I said one word. The, and nobody and, and I would talk a lot, and nobody wants that. The Pittsburgh Penguins signed Thomas Vokun this offseason, yep. ostensibly to be the backup for Marc-Andre Fleury. First off, what does ostensibly mean? <laughs> so far this I'm year, serious. <laughs> <laughs> so far this year, Fleury has started six games for the Penguins, while Vokun has started four games. The Penguins have 38 games remaining. Over under Marc-Andre Fleury starting 24 of the remaining 38 Penguins games?
3: That's a good question. I like that one. Thank you. Usually they're not very good. If Richie, <laughs> Richie, If Richie's doing the questions, they're good. Um, I'm going to say... Ooh, that's a tough one. I really like that they picked up Volkun and they, they give him a, a, pro, a better backup op- option than Brent Johnson. I'm going to say over, because I think that as the season goes along, even though in a shortened season, they're going to like to play two goalies... I'm going to go over, and I'd, if I had to make a guess at how many games Fleury's going to play, I'm going to say 30 from here on in.
2: Richard? I agree with Ezi, and I think it's going to be over because what you have with the Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Penguins is Vokun comes in, he gives Fleury a rest at the beginning of the season. He gets lets Fleury settled in. Now, if Fleury falters more, Vokun might take that chance. But Vokun, one thing I think the Pittsburgh Penguins have to take into account is Vokun has never been that great in the playoffs. And Fleury's won a cup. And that's a big difference. And so you don't want to get Voku into a position where he starts the playoffs and then he falters and you're back with Fleury. Sure, he'd be rested, but he might not have played and might not have gotten to a rhythm. So I think Fleury gets into more games. He's the more talented of the two netminders. And he's the future still there, in, uh, or the present really there in Pittsburgh.
0: Over under.
1: Carolina Hurricanes goaltender Cam Ward has long been thought of as one of the NHL's more underrated goaltenders. He's struggling so far this year with a goals against average of 3.43 through six games played. Over under Cam Ward finishing the season with a goals against average of 2.75, Oops. which is his career average. I'm going to go under,
3: absolutely. Um, we, have, we, have to, we have to note, Richie... That on the Carolina Hurricanes, it, 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 it's a transition year and, and they've picked up Jordan Stahl. That's going to make them better offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. And they've picked up Alexander Salmon and that was to address secondary scoring issues. But you've, you've got largely an offensive defenseman set. You've got, and you, and with the stay at home guy maybe being Tim Gleason, but Justin Falk, who I picked to be a breakout guy this year, and you've got Joe Corvo. He's mainly an offensive guy. Uh, You've got more offensive-minded defensemen, and that should be taken into consideration. Because I still think Cam Ward is a top ten goalie in the NHL. Some would argue maybe even top five goalie, but definitely below two point seven five last year. I think was an aberration. I think this year he'll be back. Because I've got Carolina making the playoffs, so I think they're going to get together. They're not. They're not. I, I believe they're about five hundred right now. They're 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 not playing too poorly, um, but I think Ward's numbers, especially GAA, will get down there.
2: 274 last year, Drew, and obviously had an up-and-down season. 256 the year before, 269 the year before that. The odds would say that he'd be below it. I know his career is 275. Having said that, I really do believe that the Carolina defense is, is very overrated. And or just as a whole, I mean, who's their lockdown defender aside from Timmy Gleason? I mean, you got offensive guys there. It's probably Yoni Pitkenen. yeah, and that's not a good sign because yeah. Yoni Pitkin's not a shutdown defense. I didn't mention him. Yeah. Joe Corvo's not a shutdown defense by any means. Justin Falk's certainly a developing defenseman, but uh, but uh, they're gonna try, I think, and and trade some offensive chances. And I'm gonna say over this year. I, I like Cam Ward's game. Don't get me wrong; and he's he's been very consistent over the course of his career. But there's a developmental curve there for those defensemen in in terms of organizational strength. And the Hurricanes right now are lacking on the back end. And I think that's going to show in Cam Ward's stats.
1: Over-Under.
2: In case you haven't noticed, there's a theme for Over-Under this week. It's goaltenders.
1: Continuing on, prior to joining the Phoenix Coyotes, goaltender Mike Smith had a career goals against average of 2.68 in six abbreviated NHL seasons. Last year, in 67 games, his goals against average was 2.21. Through six games this season, his goals against average is 2.67. Pardon me, I think I misspoke. Last year, his goals against average was 2.21. Uh-huh. This year, through six games, his goals against average is 2.67. Over under Mike Smith finishing this season with a 2.40 goals against average.
3: So that would okay. You know so what? That I'm, would
1: make him worse than
3: last year, but better than his. Where career he's at after. right now. I'm going to say under. But you know what? Mike Smith, I I think really had one of those special years last year. Everybody knows how far Phoenix got last year and lost out to L. A. But you know, he, Richie, he benefits from playing under Dave Tippett's system, and and they have some. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about overrated. And I, again, I, I I'm always going to go back to my predictions because as the season goes along, you you learn and. The Phoenix Coyotes have some pretty good defensemen. You know about Keith Yandel, but Ekman Larson is very good. And they have Zabenik Mahalik, who everybody who listens to this show knows Richie's in love with him, his play. <laughs> and I'm going to say under because Mike Smith last year was, all, all he did was stop the puck. And, and sure, again, he, he, he benefits from a team that, that buys into the system and plays defense and has lots of good players led by, you know, Shane Doan and others. But the guy stops the puck. And he, and he stopped the puck in the playoffs. And this year, you know, he's continuing to play pretty well, even though Phoenix is, you know, kind of uh, struggling a little bit now. But, uh, you know, Mike Smith, he, he, all he does is prove me wrong. So I'm going to say under.
2: Richie? I, I'm saying under because Phoenix's system is such a way that they can't succeed without playing a very, you know, 3-2 kind of score games. And you say they flip, say they play most of their games 3-2 and they flip a coin and win half, lose half. I, I think it's under. And more so product of the system, Mike Smith physically is a, is a great goalie, is a talented goalie, not a great goalie. But, and his puck movement skills are underrated, but I, I think under because the Phoenix Coyotes play a certain way.
1: Keep your eye on. Keep your eye on it ends this show every week. I love these, uh, what
3: are they called, images, imagery.
1: Yeah, imagery imaging, and bumpers. image yeah, bumpers. Im- I
3: love yeah. these bumpers that we yeah. have. It's yeah. imaging. imaging, and to think Remus and I made them in my basement uh, <laughs> just last night. We're actually going to
1: try and get a hologram of you, is what we're, is what our yeah. next uh, imaging attempt is going to be. Yeah. Keep an eye on. I'll start with you for this Wednesday evening, Richie.
2: Well, Drew, I'm going to I'm going to say, you know, tonight's late game. I think it's important to keep an eye on in Edmonton. Just keep an you no know, Nugent Hopkins tonight. To so keep an eye on Sam Gagne, he's really taken the next step, I think, in terms of his chemistry with the second line there with Yakupov. I think he's it's a big season for him, and I and I think for Edmonton fans, you know, Nugent Hopkins tonight. See how he plays with a little bit more attention focused on him against the Stars in the second half of the doubleheader on TSN. Ezzie, keep an eye on. I'm going to say keep him on, keep an eye on Jacob Josephson in New Jersey. He's he's
3: gone into nine games this year. He's only got one point. But if you remember, he's only 21 years old, and he was drafted in in 09 first round pick of the Devils. But he had the clavicle injury two years ago; didn't play much. Last year, he missed half of the season. He's had he's been riddled with injury problems. But he's a guy the Devils have not given up on him. And right now, he's playing on the third line, uh, and he's obviously behind Zajac and Henrik and and others. But he's the type of guy. He's got tons of skill, decent size. Uh, and he's a, more of a playmaker, but he's also got a decent shot. But he's a guy that I think he's going he's gonna to be good for the Devils. And, and this year it looks like if all goes well, he's going to actually be healthy for the whole season, even though it's an abbreviated season. But I'm going to say Josephson on the Devils.
1: I'm going to wrap up, keep an eye on with the New York Rangers. With the Rangers struggling, keep an eye on Rangers coach John Tortorella. He's been too quiet so far this season, and with New York Post reporter Larry Brooks back and reporting on the Rangers after a brief medical leave. Welcome back, Brooksie. I was <laughs> looking for his article on Sunday. It was nowhere to be found. He was off. He had a bit of a medical uh, issue. He's now back on the beat, so you can look forward to that. Be here to yeah, I, they, I think what kind so. What question is that?
3: 20,000-plus <laughs> hits on YouTube. That's my, uh, that's my claim to fame right there. So
1: with Larry Brooks back and reporting on the Rangers <laughs> and the team struggling, it's only a matter of time before Torts and Brooksy have one of their legendary disagreements for the whole world to witness. So you can keep an eye on that. That's it for this Wednesday and NHL Midweek here on TSN 1290. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, at Illegal Curve. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash curve, And our website is www.illegalcurve.com. A big thank you to today's guests, Norm McIver, the Assistant General Manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, and Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada. In case you missed any of the show, it will be available for download on iTunes and on the tsn1290.ca website. We'll be back Saturday morning, bright and early this Saturday, 7 a.m., with a three-hour edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. For Richard Pollock and Ezra Ginsburg, for producer Michael Remus, I'm your host, Drew Mindell. Until Saturday morning, good night and good luck. and listening to NHL Midweek with the Illegal Curve.
0: Join us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. for your midweek NHL update. And join Drew Mendel, Richard Pollock, and Ezra Ginsberg Saturdays for the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on your home of the Winnipeg Jets and all things NHL. TSN 1290. TSN1290.ca tsn 1290ca